Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. do now with 
there's not someone who has to be equipped. Like there's no one has to scrub. There's no laundry has to do. There's that I can do what I want, and I hadn't done that in so long. I didn't even know that. Um, I, I can kind of think back to things that youth group that a youth crew did in. Like even as I slowly started to try and do those things, they still felt hollow, and it, it almost had to be repetitive practice of, of doing those things that I used to find hard. Um, for a long time, I really felt like I was never going to be who I was, and I was so proud and, and everything out of feeling like I had lost who I was. I, I felt sadder and angrier. I felt older. <laughs> And, like, I'd lost so much of my joy, which had been my identity for so long, that I didn't know who I was. And so I went through a time period of, of trying to figure out how to get back to who I was. And as I walked through that, for the first time in my life, I realized that who I was was who I thought I should be and who I felt other people needed me to be, and that I was aiming wrong. Instead of aiming to get back to who I was or who other people needed me to be, I needed to figure out who I wanted to be and who I liked and who I needed. And so that is my very long-winded opening <laughs> of where I have been walking through and talking about um, self-esteem and loving ourselves and how by doing that better, we can love other people better. So um, here's a verse that everybody knows, uh, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always, always perseveres. First Corinthians 13, 4 to 6. I'm sure, like many people here, this is the verse on our wedding invitations and all those kinds of things and our family. It's often that verse that we talk about our plan to love um, one another. But specifically, scriptures, if you have kids that are starting to date, you might think, like, what verse? You know, and like, why is this verse like this? Because they're bringing into their relationship. But that's not all I hear when I read this. I hear a call, call to action, like when you read these verses. First um, John 3.11, the message you heard from the very beginning is this. They must love one another. First Peter 4.8, Above everything, love one another earnestly, because love covers over many sins. John 13, 34. And now I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. And finally, this, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. Mark 12, 31. These verses aren't telling us how to treat our kids or what character traits to be looking in these people that we surround ourselves with. These character traits are telling us how we should treat other people. And specifically, in that last verse that I read, it's telling us how we should treat ourselves. I think we forget that a lot of the time. Um, and so I want to kind of break that verse down and talk about how we can do that for ourselves and for our safe thoughts and how our self-esteem can really impact our whole life and the relationships we have with other people. Um, I don't know about you, but my mind is not always a safe place to be. I like, I stole it from someone else, don't remember who or when, but I heard that one a while ago, and I thought, wow, I can connect 
definitely psych ratings that have hurt me, um, psych ratings that were both true or untrue, that, that affected how I felt about myself or how I felt other people saw me. But if I think of the harshest, meanest, and most cruel person to myself, it's definitely myself. If we put all of that together, and the way we talk to ourselves, we would never let it sneak up to a friend that way, we would never talk like that to someone else, um, yet that's what we do to ourselves. Um, I feel so much that when God says, love others like you love yourself, um, that if we are not at a place where we love ourselves, that we like who we are, then the way we love others around us, the way we interact with the world is broken. That doesn't mean we never mess up, but that we are kind to ourselves when we do. So I want to spend a little bit of time on food self-esteem. And I like it because I found one and I wish I had a bigger one. <laughs> um, studies have shown that self-esteem peaks at the age of nine. That is when they find children and adults have the highest self-esteem for liking who they are um, and how they look um, before it starts to just continue to go down almost real quickly. Um, that about, okay, we are blessed to have the knowledge that God created us to be who we are and that he loves us and has a plan and that we are who we are for, for a reason, we're Christian. But Psalms 139.14 says, praise you for I am wonderfully and wonderfully made. So many people struggle with fear and anxiety, and they're feeling and they feel uncomfortable in their own skin. They're not just ten-year-old girls that attack people crying, but men and women, both in and out of the church. Low self-esteem can have devastating consequences. It can create anxiety, stress, loneliness, and increases likelihood of depression. It can cause problems with friendships and romantic relationships. Maxwell Maltz, who is famous for making men lower self-esteem, um, referred to it as low self-esteem is like driving through life with a calm mind. Some key characteristics of low self-esteem are negative self-talk, lack of self-confidence. Self-esteem and self-confidence seem like the same thing, but they're not. For example, someone can easily get up in front of a group of people and give a speech. That's self-confidence. Um, but they can judge themselves harshly and think that and think they did very little in that sense. Um, another characteristic is sadness and depression. Less ability to take compliments. A recent study showed that people with low self-esteem have trouble accepting compliments because they doubt the sincerity of the people they do. Coupling the usual feeling with embarrassment is a deeper underlying humiliation in which they feel they are being criticized. These people who need to fear it the most can't do it. They ignore and neglect their own needs, and they lack a sense of purpose. If we are interacting with the world from a place of fear and rejection and low self-worth, it will seep into our relationships with others. Chris Gallatin said we're talking about learning to love ourselves. When we really want someone to love us, we often build a case against them so we can reject them before we can reject ourselves. So we'll start with our first point and move on. Um, the first point of that is love is patient, love is kind. We need to really learn to give ourselves time. We can't fix our problems overnight. We need to be patient. We live in a society where the bar of who you can and should be is set very high. It's hard to navigate life when we put so much pressure on ourselves and others to be perfect. We run our self-esteem into the ground when we don't treat ourselves nicely. We need to be patient with ourselves, and instead of fearing mistakes, we need to celebrate them and use them as opportunities to grow. And we need to celebrate that we're willing to take the risk to be perfect. We do not expect physical well-being to be immediate. 
if we're starting a business or building a house, we give ourselves time, a plan for success. But why when we have personal changes that we want to make mid, we expect them to be instant? Personal growth requires tremendous patience. We need to go into the process with realistic goals and time. So some things that might be on in a few weeks to work through what's going on in your life and try the things that might be lighter. We need to love ourselves and know that it is a process. Every step forward is a win, and every step back is temporary as long as we are kind to ourselves along the journey and have the patience. <laughs> the general rule of thumb is people overestimate what they can get done in one year and underestimate what they can do in two years. That's their goal. The time is going to pass anyway, and if the quality is worth having, it's worth having again. It does love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, and it is not selfish. I like this one. Humility inspires change. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself more. It understands that every human is equally valuable. A recognition that you are worth no more or less than anyone else. And so often we see that as extremely easy, prideful. But we don't see when we think less of ourselves and we put ourselves below other people and when we allow ourselves to speak those negative thoughts into our lives that we are actually not thinking. We are thinking of ourselves as different and lesser than anyone else. I want to encourage you that it is calling us to accept ourselves as we are. That doesn't mean you should not strive to improve, but positively, rather than berating yourself for your negative qualities. It has grounded knowledge that you are loved and created for a purpose. Negative self-talk centers our attention on ourselves and draws our attention away from God and those around us, causing us to miss out on what God has for us and the opportunities we have. Love is not easily earned. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We all have faults. However, if we don't recognize and acknowledge, they lead to change, but they can be swept in a rush of foolishness. We could only get worse the more we accept love is like. Instead, choose to become aware of and acknowledge they need to change and put forth the energy to improve and make life better. But when you hear those voices in your head, those ones that are yelling louder than everything else, telling you that you will fail, telling you that you're unloved, telling you to be scared, I, I feel like you need something something you can hold to, something that you can believe in. And, and for me, that was hard. As I walked through this time and I came out, I, I had a, a, a go-to list of all the ways I was wrong. If, if you needed me to tell you everything I was doing wrong, that was like how it took in my time and going through my brain all the time. And, and I was really struggling with that. I, I kept getting to the point where the weight of all of these lies inside of me was keeping me from being successful and achieving and happy. And so I'd go to this time of, of spending time with God and reading the Word and, and breaking those lies and, and digging that out. And I'd go through this big process, and then I'd find a few months later, I'd be right back to where I hadn't been for so long. And so um, I spent some time with Gary when he was here, um, and I spoke to some other people that I had in my life that were amazing. And going through that, it really felt like God said, and it was like a, a light bulb. It's like you go digging out that hole and pulling all the garbage out, but it's just a hole, and it's still not that happy that I just go through that. And that what I needed to do was not to say, hey, you're, you're not a failure, that I had to throw it in the hole and come right back. But if anyone's gone through a time where they are really 
struggling and, and what to avoid in our lives, writing a list of the things I like about myself and I don't like. Um, and I did. I sat and I had in the same book that I had all this stuff written out of all the ways that I needed to fix myself and be better, I could not write anything that I actually liked about myself or felt good about. And after a couple of days of just feeling like I was a failure at this too, I <laughs> reached out to, uh, I, I really felt God said, well, you have to reach out lucky to have people in my life that I just sent this out to. I just sent out this out to people struggling with this and listening to them. So I said, okay, I'll do that. Can you just send me a couple things that you think are good about me? And, and I got these texts back from um, these wonderful women. And this is what I keep for when the voices in my head are yelling louder than I can, I can fix. For, for the first two months, probably, after, as I was trying to work through all of this, I, I had my book with me. And I would just, every morning, I would, and I would say, God, I am a mess. I am such a stumbling and piece of garbage. And I would open my book and I'd read through all of these things that people said. And I love it. They're all over the place. One friend said, I think I need this person. Um, another person said, I was physically uh, uh, distracted, which is great because I think on my list of things I was bad at was getting sick. And so I really liked flipping that and being like, oh, like, See, that person actually thought I was doing well in that, and I'm like, you know, I should buy more people coffee. And so I just thought that was great. And I mean, some are, you know, you're an amazing friend, and you love well, and you're genuine, and God was saying, in just about any relationship you have, you put in more time, attention, and care into it than the other person, and I can't think of any excuse. And there are times I have this, I'm off the hype with these prayers that have worked for me, and I, you know, I thank God that. And when I feel like I'm failing or when I feel like I've been a bad mom or whatever, I can grab this and read who I am. And these are people I trust. Too often, we let people we have no relationship with speak into our lives negative things that impact our identity, not only with ourselves but with God. And yet, when someone that we have a relationship with, that, that we do family and life with, when they say something good, we're like, oh, that's embarrassing. I'm sure you're just being nice, right? And I encourage you. That if you have those voices, if you have those times where you feel like it's all going to hell, and, and you can't really get out of that hole, if you can do it yourself, if you know the things that you're good at and the things you're proud of and, and what you bring, um, write those down because when you're having that bad day, you're not going to be able to, to fix those things. But if you can't, the hard part was asking. It was, it was pretty embarrassing that I could suddenly speak things about myself, but the answers were worth it. And now, you know, like I said, the first two months I read them every day, and now I have them when I need them. And I just encourage you that that is something that is life-changing for me, and that I will have that that list going out for everybody. Um, Things that I think for our self-esteem 
if we can work on some of these boundaries for setting a tone. Number one, because that was very often sort of what happened before I preached, is specifically the sound of voice. Um, for people who would, for people who would identify as a people pleaser, it can be really hard to sound out. The, the feelings of what other people expect from us and need from us can often outweigh what is actually best for us or really what we can do. Often a no is worse than a yes. Um, when I was going through some of this stuff, the, the feeling, the obligation to say yes left me leading people disappointed where I forgot or I didn't do it or when I did it, I wasn't great at it. Or I would go out in a social situation and probably it would have helped the relationship to say no, I can't, rather than been there and not been present and not been fully present. And I think we need to allow ourselves to say no. When we saw these women today where their places in life are making it so that it's just not possible to be with what they were doing, and other women stepped up and took those places, we need to be a group that allows ourselves to say no and allows other people to say no. That doesn't mean when there's a need, we don't say no, right? I'm not saying, oh, no more volunteers. You guys just all do whatever you want because you should say no. But just a sense of knowing where you're at. For me, a big thing with this um, with school was like just laughing at it. And I chronic notes. Um, if, if people need something or want something, uh, it is hard to say no to things. And what I learned was I would take it and I'd be like, God, is this supposed to be really something? Am I supposed to do it? And he would laugh at me and laugh at me. I mean, when Sunday school was like, we don't have a Sunday school year, I think I turned to Joanne like, I don't know what to do. Do you think I should do that? And then I just started laughing. And I was like, can you imagine? Like, my life is like upside down. But there's a need. And, and if not me, who? Well, sometimes if not me, nobody is better. <laughs> so I just, I encourage you to know, to really take those and not feel that need to please other people, that need to do what you think you should be doing. But really take it, and if you feel, even if you think it instantly, you're like, nah, that's not for me, take those moments too and take them to God and be like, well, is this something I should be involved in, right? But boundaries of saying no are, are important. Being kind to yourself and setting boundaries can actually help and improve relationships in the long run, even if initially that is not the direction that you've, that you've leaned towards. So, often saying yes can cause us to feel stressed, overwhelmed, and burnt out. And if you do not respect your personal boundaries, likely to build up bitterness and resentment over time between you and the people that are asking for it. The second boundary um, that I think is to choose who you allow to speak into your life. That doesn't just mean friends. It can be a pastor. I think everyone here feels very blessed to be someone who can speak into their life. Everyone but Dan. I don't know if that um, and, You know, we need to surround ourselves with people that are safe, and that doesn't mean everyone in your life is safe, but we also need to know the people we're going to allow to speak into our lives, the people that we're going to allow to call out stuff when we're making a mess, and also believe when they tell us we're doing good work. You know, this is not something I was very good at, and for most of my life, I have struggled with anxiety. It is very common for me to go home after having conversations with people all day or sort of going down things and lay in my bed thinking of everything that I have said and interactions I've had with people and worried that I didn't say hi to Judy today and maybe she's going to be mad about that or, you know, I forgot to ask about the back and maybe he, he thinks I don't care and that that was what I did at night when I got home. And then this life-changing thing happened once. Um, we were away at a, a girls' weekend and 
friend is talking to me about something important. Something, what? I can't remember what it was, but it, it was important <laughs> to her. This was like four years ago, so it's not what anybody can remember. But, and so she's talking about it. And you'll know why I don't remember in a second. But so she's telling me about this, and uh, we're talking. And she goes into the bathroom to kind of get ready for her bed. And she's still talking to me about this important thing. And I'm sitting there, and I pick up my phone, and I start scrolling through Facebook. And she comes back in the room, and she's talking, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she stops talking, and she walks back in the bathroom. And she comes back in, Brianne, I'm telling you about something that means a lot to me and is important, and you're being disrespectful to me. And walks back in the bathroom, and I was like, okay, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, this is like the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> so, and really, for me, too, because... I went into the bathroom and I apologized, and I think I was laughing when I apologized. And seriously, I texted my friend. Like, I felt bad, but I, at the same time, it was like the amount of times I had hung out with this person who was a really close friend and still gone home at the end of the day and thought over all the conversations that we'd had and whether that I'd offended them or not listened or I talked too much or not talked enough or I didn't ask about something that, that had been important to her. Where when she called that out and she said, hey, what you're doing is not relationship building here. I said, wow, let's go back home. Let's be the kind of people that if I am not not doing what needs to be done, if I've offended you, if I've hurt you, call me out on it because then I'm not going to go home and be worried that you're mad at me all the time. And so now I have people in my life that I've specifically done that with where I've been like, hey, I'm going to let you speak into my life. But in order to do that, I'm going to trust you're going to expect the best from me, but every now and then I'm going to screw up. You're going to know that's not what I meant because Brad didn't tell me that, you know, I'm stupid. And and at the same time, if I say something that's hurtful or you're worried or you can't, like, you can't just say, well, maybe she does think I'm stupid. Well, come and ask me and let's clean up that mess. And now I have these friends in my life that I can talk to for hours about anything. And I go home and I feel confident and loved and safe. And so I just... I encourage you for that second boundary to allow the people who speak into your life that can impact who you are deep down, your self-identity, that you choose those people wisely and purposely. Because too often we allow the people who have so much power over us to be people that we wouldn't, we wouldn't take a compliment from necessarily, but we let them say things that really affect us deeply. The second thing that I also did, just remember, confrontation actually strengthens and protects connection. And when these people are willing to call out the garbage when it comes up, it makes it a lot easier to believe them when they call out the gold in our system. Proverbs 12.26 says, The righteous people offends quickly. Proverbs 27.17, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I also learned another thing. Uh, I went through a time in my life where um, just going through where it seemed there was a lot of people who wouldn't think the best of me. And then the things would come back to me or people would say things to me or whatever. And, and I took it all in. And I took it way too in. And, and that point just kind of threw me back to the root of why I didn't trust people in people inside of me. And what I learned to do as I got healthier was now when, when something happens, and even if it's from someone that I don't trust or wouldn't accept, when I get correction from something or even if I hear gossip, what they say, and I go, hey, God, who do I gossip about? And I hold it in, and it really is symbolic, and I do it, and even at work sometimes, there, there's been a few times I've walked down stores, and they're talking about me, and they don't know I'm there, and, 
you know, I kind of get a little upset about something, and I go and I take it, and I go, oh, was I being unkind in that situation? And I take it, and I hold it here. I don't accept it. And then I think, no, there might not know these things about it, or maybe they're having a bad day, and I really haven't had anything to do with it at all. And then I can release it. And it never comes to it. And it never gets to the other mountain, and it never gets to affect who I am. And other times, it's like, no, like, yeah, you know, maybe they're struggling with gossiping right now. Um, let's take that one, and let's add it to the list of self-improvement things that we need to work on. And sometimes those things are little things. Sometimes they're messy. Like, I tend to go and apologize and say, God, I just pray for you. I'm upset. I shouldn't talk to you that way, and I love you, and I hope everything's cleaned up. And other times, it's things that I'm going to have to work on for maybe the rest of my life. But I think taking it, for me, that symbolic taking a moment before I just take on everything that someone says about me or tells me I'm doing wrong. Sometimes the things that hurt the most aren't actually someone criticizing you, but the way they've said something feels hurt, right? And so I take those and I hold them, and I find it easier to release them and not let them become a part of who I am, or to take the moment to also take on a deep breath and, and allow it to be a part of who I am and let go. The last one, always, love always trusts, always hopes, and also always anticipates. When we trust ourselves, we assume the best. We're willing to give ourselves a break and overlook past failures and know that God is at work in us. Hope helps us persist. Hope gives you a reason to persist. For the, from the place of hope, other positive emotions such as courage or confidence or happiness emerge. Hope in the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his word. I went through a time where I, I stopped hoping and I stopped believing. And I encourage you if you're in a place in your life where that is, sometimes it can be hard to start that again. Look back at the things that you used to hope and dream for. If you journal, look back in that. Try and see the things that maybe have come, come to fulfillment that you didn't realize that you forgot that in your brain and now you have that. But, but start slow and work at them. I'm still working at them. I, I feel like so often when God's working on something like that in your life or you realize you've stopped dreaming or hoping that somehow he brings people in your lives to just like always add to the things you've been dreaming for. Right? Like, I, I feel like we went to this time as where everywhere I went, every speaker that comes in, I'm like, oh, what are you hoping for? I'm like, oh, just pray to him. Like, and I would laugh and I'm like, and they're like, well, in 10 years, where do you want to be? And I'm like, I hope you've sold my house by then. My house isn't for sale. I just have a, like, huge house with five bathrooms, and no one should have to clean that house. So my dream is 10 years from now, I live in a normal person house, and I don't have to clean five bathrooms. That is my dream. That is not what um, speakers are looking for from leadership when they ask what your hopes and dreams are for the future. And, and they're like, no, 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 like, seriously, what are your dreams? And I'm like, yes, well, I hope you can. Um, and so I've been working on that. I now have two more things out of town. Um, they're not all that much cooler than the things that's in my house in, in the next 10 years, but I'm working on it. So if you are at a place where you feel like the place that you are in has caused you to stop hoping, to stop dreaming, to stop being excited for the future, I encourage you to find those. Start small, and when little things come up, add them to your list. And I have them on the wall in my closet, and sometimes they remind me to be excited for those, and other times it reminds me how lame my list is. But, you know, I have got a list. And I'm working on it. Um, I want to I want to end today with my time is kind of I had this like little bit because I talk too fast and I do this and I'm kind of excited about this. Hey, did I talk way too fast? I have read this five times. 
to slow down. I'm like, and then the heights are here, and I'm like, well, why did I even go slow? But <laughs> Dave always tells me that I do my announcements too slow. But I do them wonderfully, but too fast. And so he's always very sensitive. But I'm like, oh, just slow down. Um, <laughs> I want to close um, talking about a man who built his life work almost entirely, entirely around Mark 12, 31. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister who dedicated his life to teaching about self-love, kindness, and acceptance. And I think if we could all be a, just a little bit more like him in how we treat ourselves and how we treat others, our church, our city, we would just be a better place. So, Mr. Rogers was an American television personality. He was a musician, puppeteer, writer, producer, and a Presbyterian minister. He was the creator, showrunner, and host of the Christian television series, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, from 1968 to 2001. And if you want to go down a rabbit hole of just awesome information, research Mr. Rogers, because it's like, I still could just go on and on, and I get way too excited if, if I there's been a couple people who have cornered about Mr. Rogers here in the last week, and they don't care as much as I do, but I find it really interesting. And so you guys are all cornered and get to learn about this man who taught so many people to like themselves and to have self-worth. And he was a lonely, shy, bullied pastor who struggled so much with his emotions and how to deal with them when he was young. He grew up in a very wealthy family in a very poor town. And his family was amazing and very philanthropic. They gave away a lot of money. But when they dropped off at school in Alina, the kids weren't so interested. So the kids called him Fat Freddy. They bullied him. And they were so mean, he didn't have any friends. Then one day in high school, the jock, the most popular kid in school, hurt himself at a game, and a teacher asked his friend to get on um, his books. And he talked with this other guy, and they became friends. And when the kid came back to school, he kind of pulled him and goes, hey, that Fred from Mark Corvette, changed his life. That's what he says changed his life. He had one person who said, you're better than your dad. He, when he was younger, about 10 or 11, he was the limo he was picking up with a walker, and kids chased him home, bullied him, calling him names, and he got home, he goes to his mom and his dad, and his grandparents are looking, and he says, Mom, this happened, you guys are hard, and they said, just pretend you don't care, just pretend it doesn't matter, and he went to his bedroom, and sat down, and he said to himself, but I don't care, and at 11 years old, he created puppets to talk about his emotions, that is how Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood came to be public, is because as adults, people weren't thinking he had to say that. His, his, the way he says about high school, his direct quote is, it was tough for me at the beginning, and then I found a couple of friends who found out, and this didn't bother me, I found out the core of me was broken. When that allowed him to like himself, he went on to be the um, kindergarten president, was at National Honor Roll. He became the editor of Kids Wear Makeup. He 
those relationships to one person being like, he's okay. It changed his life and the life of a lot of other people. If we hadn't had Mr. Rogers, there are a lot of kids, and I'll, I'm going to read a little bit about some of the kids and how it ended. It says, Rabbi Ruttenberg, and our Mr. Rogers, was and still is such an important listener. He offered unconditional love. He told children that they were already good enough and that it was okay to be sad or scared or hurt or angry, and he took them and their needs seriously. So few people in those children's lives would leave, and people loved him because he offered them something they just needed. Are we doing that for the people around us? Are we loving the people around us exactly who they are? Are we busy expecting us from other people instead of loving them for who they are? He became a Presbyterian minister in 1963 and started Mr. Rogers Neighborhood in 1968 as a Presbyterian ministry of young kids under um, one of the rabbis there. I think it's most notable in the century. He's been called a televangelist of poverty and believed teaching through example was as powerful as preaching. His life work was, in, was almost entirely built around Mark 1231, and he showed people that they weren't a mistake, but they were lovable, and he had an answer for them. So I have a question. Love isn't a state of perfect caring. It is an active noun that struggles. To love someone is to strive to accept that person exactly the way he or she is right here and now. As human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and valuable each one of us really is that each one of us has something that no one else has or ever will have, something inside that is unique at all times. It's our job to encourage each other to discover that uniqueness and to provide ways to develop and express it. Forgiveness is a strange thing, isn't it? It can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive people we love. Like all of life's important coping skills, the ability to forgive and the attachment of let go of resentments most likely take place very early in life. Um, people still have words to help them. I, I, I don't know if I could say anyone who would be looking back and saying, oh, Leanne was my, you know, daycare provider when I was 12 and she made me feel better about myself. That was definitely at that age was not something that I was looking to do. A couple of people said these things. He was a father figure and a friend to help me. He threw me many times and once he kissed me. Someone who treated kids with respect, which sometimes even trips me up. Another person said, he made me feel safe and worthy and worship. And then number two, I, I, I love this. I genuinely feel that he is alive today because of me and him. A teacher talking about trying to teach Chinese to kids Mr. Rogers showed us that it's possible by teaching Versus a man in a sweater and sneakers on a television set. And I mean, he was amazing. He, he went and met children who were going through really hard situations and kept those relationships. He, he spoke at the Senate about the importance of educational television for children and made the head of the Senate really cry. I mean, this is an amazing man. But he reached out to so many people through this television screen, and that's what we saw his ministry as, was to love these people that he didn't know as much as each one of them knew. And I just say, whether it's for yourself, that you love
like who you are the way you are and you start there and you work from that and work to improve it but you like who you are and if you don't figure out why figure out coping skills figure out what you need to change and if that's not what you need to work on figure out how to love other people the way they are like you for me that was stop expecting yourself from other people. We all have different love languages. We are so loved. People here wouldn't have known what I was going through the last couple of years. And I might have disappointed you, and other people might be disappointed in you. And I just encourage you to remember that to love people as they are. Mr. Rogers sang a song in his very first episode. Just four minutes into the episode, he's sitting on a, on a, on a swing, on a swing. And he looked directly at the screen, and he asked the audience, they like me for me. And he pauses, almost like waiting for the answer. And then he asks everyone, how do you feel about growing? Do you like that? Changing inside? And then he sings the song. For listening to our sermon of the week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.